Well, good morning, Cross Point. Welcome to week number two of live streaming from our church. If uh, you would have told me two weeks ago that our world would have gotten this chaotic, uh, I wouldn't have believed you. But uh, we, we all know what it is what it is, and we're going through what we're going through. But we still got an empty tomb, and we got a, God, a Jesus who's still on the throne, and we've got the Word of God, so we've gathered together today to take take a look at it. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 14. And this, this message today takes me back to my college days and Richard Rogers' this class because he was always talking about discipleship and the Great Commission and discipling. And today, if you're going to give a message title, we would call it Discipling Jesus' Way. And if you'll open your Bibles, and I believe right there on your app, there's a, uh, on the page you're on, there's a little thing you can click on Bible and Luke 14, go ahead and uh, turn to that page right now. Now, before we get to the text itself, uh, we need to do a few announcements, bring you up to date on some things. Uh, it wouldn't be church without announcements, right? And so, number one, we just want you to know that we love you, we care about you, and we want to stay in touch. And so, Monday through Thursday at noon, I'm going to do a uh, live feed uh, where we're going to do a devotional, maybe a Bible study. It's going to be interactive. We can talk back and forth on the internet if you have a headset and you're able to do that. Uh, Mike Moran is going to be doing the same thing uh, weeknights at 8 o'clock. And so it's just another way of reaching out and staying in touch. Uh, some of you have been asking, I guess the number one question I've been getting lately is, Bruce, how do we give if we're not allowed to go to church and meet together, although the building's not the church, you're the church, how do we give our tithes and offerings? And I appreciate that because Crosspoint is a generous church. Crosspoint understands that uh, uh, the gospel to be carried on has got to cost some money. And so David Doolittle has put together a video. If you'll just go to uh, our webpage and uh, click on latest, all the links that we've done are on that page. Uh, in addition, next Sunday, I want us all to take communion together. And so therefore, as you're out and about this week getting your physical food, I want you to pick up some spiritual food. Fruit of the vine, uh, some unleavened bread. If uh, you don't want to get out and you got some grapes, you can squeeze a few grapes, I suppose. Uh, on, online, there's recipes for making unleavened bread. Some of the best bread you'll ever eat is unleavened bread. So you can make it right there at home. You don't even have to go out of the house. But I want us all to take it together online next week, and so I want you to be prepared to do that. So go to the webpage, click on latest, and everything you need to know will be there. And we'll see you tomorrow at noon for our interactive Bible study. Now, by way of review, last week we, we talked about God being in control when everything's out of control. And wouldn't you agree with me that today our world is definitely totally and completely out of control. It is chaotic. And uh, I don't believe it's going to remain that way forever, uh, but God is in this with us. God knew the coronavirus was going to hit when it was going to hit, and God's going to see us through. But just the same, we have been given a commission called the Great Commission by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we are to make disciples. Last week we looked at an uncontrollable sea, uh, an uncontrollable man, an uncontrollable illness, and then we looked at the most uncontrollable thing of all, an uncontrollable death. And Jesus controls all four of those. So He can take control of our lives and, and bring us peace.
But he's also given us an opportunity here. The Great Commission says in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, that, we, that Jesus has all authority, and therefore we're, we're to go in all the world, and we're to preach the whole gospel to the whole world, we're to make disciples, we're to baptize those disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then we are to teach them some more. And Jesus says, you do that, and I will be with you. So it is our mission given to us by the commission of Jesus Christ Himself. And the coronavirus has not changed our mandate. And there are safe ways in which we can preach the gospel to people. This is not a time for hand-wringing. This is not a time for fear. But it is a time to make disciples. You see, during a time of crisis, people are more in tune to God than ever before. Uh, perhaps even more than Easter, which is coming up. Perhaps even more than Christmas time. People are, are looking for answers. People are thinking, is there more to life than just this? We need to take advantage of that and share good news. The coronavirus can kill your body, but the sin virus can kill your body and your soul. And every one of us have been infected with the sin virus. And so let's make this a, a Romans 8.28 moment in history where all things work together for good to those that love God who are called according to His purpose. And so God can cause even good to come from this mess that we're all in, and we're all in it together. Now, before we get into the text, I've I got to say something very, very important. Two things to remember. Number one, salvation is free. You cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. You cannot pay for it. The only thing you can do with a gift is to receive it. And that's what I hope you'll do today if you haven't already. But the second thing I want you to understand is discipleship is very, very costly. And before coming to Jesus, Jesus warns us to count the cost. And so, salvation is free, discipleship is costly. Now the background of Luke chapter 14, Jesus has spent several days discussing with the multitudes and with His disciples what being a disciple really is. And so discipling Jesus' way really means four things. Number one, it means people are more important than the rules. People are more important than the rules. We sometimes forget that as we approach God's Word. In Luke chapter 14, 1 through 6, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. By who? By the Pharisees. Now, do you remember if the Pharisees were good guys or bad guys? They were, they were bad guys, pretty much. And uh, they didn't like the fact that they were the religious leaders. They were supposed to be the shepherds of the people, but they weren't doing a very good job of it. Uh, they had turned the spirit of the law into a uh, rigid legal law, and they had turned everything into what you might call legalism today. And these Pharisees... We're watching Jesus very carefully. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. This is just an old term for swelling of the soft tissue due to the accumulation of excess water. And it's very painful. The, the body begins to swell up and, the, and, and there's not a time that you're not miserable. And uh, Jesus sees this man. It's the Sabbath day. And, and Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of the law who happened to be there at this banquet, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? 
See, the Pharisees had been giving Jesus a hard time about healing on the Sabbath day. And so Jesus is there. He's got them present in company. And he asks them this question. He stirs the controversy. But they remain silent. You know why, don't you? If, if, if they said, uh, yes, of course it's okay to heal on the Sabbath day. There's no controversy. But if they said, no, Jesus, you can't heal on the Sabbath day. Jesus said, well, here's the word of God. You just put your finger on the verse and show me where it says that. And they don't have any verse to show. And so they remained silent, just like a Pharisee. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or even an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. And so what Jesus is saying here is, rules are good. But rules were given for the benefit of man, not the other way around. The rules were set aside anytime they needed to be set aside for the benefit of man. If you recall, uh, in the Old Testament, the Bible says, on the eighth day you are to circumcise a child according to the law of Moses. Well, what if the eighth day fell on the Sabbath day? Well, then a higher law would overrule a lower law. This law was put aside for this one. And then David, King David, he wasn't on the throne yet, but he was anointed by Samuel, and he was on the run from Saul. And he and his men were hungry, they were starving, and the only food available to them, if you recall, was the showbread, the, the, the food at the tabernacle. And uh, they went ahead and ate it. Although that food was set aside for only the Levites, the priestly tribe. And yet God doesn't condemn them for it because it benefited man. The rules are set aside anytime they need to be set aside for the benefit of man. And then one day, Jesus and the disciples were walking through a grain field. And as you get to the gleanings, the corner of the grain field, the law allowed for people to take from the corners. And they were hungry, obviously didn't have a meal that day. And so they grabbed some wheat right there from the field, ground it in their hands and ate it, had their Wheaties, and uh, kept on doing the work of the Lord. And the Pharisees called him out on that. And Jesus said, look, I wrote the Bible. I wrote the Word. I, I wrote the law. I know what I'm talking about. That was not a violation. I don't care what you think because rules are good, but people are more important. Number two, a disciple, uh, disciple in Jesus' way means humility is better than pride. Verses 7 through 11. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, remember he's at a banquet here of a Pharisee's house, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. Why the least important place? Why not just the next place down? Because that place has already been filled in by everybody else who's trying to get to the most important place. So you've got to go all the way to the end, to the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when, you, when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, Move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be 
exalted. And so people are more important than the rules. Humility is better than pride. But then there's a third thing he says. He says hospitality is superior to friendship. Hospitality is superior to friendship. Verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or rich neighbors. Now you know he means only there, right? It's okay to have dinner and lunch with a friend or with a family member. Um, Jesus did this, even with rich guys. Jesus had one of his best friends, lived in Bethany. His name was Lazarus. He had a couple of sisters named Mary and Martha, and whenever Jesus and company were in that vicinity, that's where they ate. And so it's okay to, 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 to enjoy a meal with your friends, but not exclusively. Not only if you do, they may invite you back. And so will you be repaid. Have you ever taken someone to lunch, and then the next time they say, well, you know, you bought last time, so let me buy this time. Okay, and then the next time you go up, well, I bought, you bought, I bought, you bought. You're going to get into one of those messes. Jesus, don't, don't mess with that. But when you give a banquet, invite, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What he's saying here is, it's just a matter of when and where you want to be repaid. If you want to be repaid right here and now on earth, then invite your friends, relatives, and rich neighbors. But if you want to be repaid by God Himself in heaven, then invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. I think it's interesting, this is sort of a side note, when John the Baptist was in prison, he, he began thinking, is Jesus really the Messiah I should be looking for? Prison does strange things to your mind. And so while he's in there, he decides to send his disciples to Jesus with this question. Jesus, are you the Messiah? And, and here's the way Jesus answered. Jesus said, go tell John that the, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the poor get good news told to them. And when John heard that, he said, that's enough. He's the one. Having heard the fulfillment of prophecy, knowing that Jesus is taking care of the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, I know He's the one. And in some way, isn't that what we should be about as a church? We are His hands. We are His feet. And that's what Crosspoint should be doing. Number four, Jesus would also have disciples know everyone is equally important to Jesus. Verses 15 to 24, he says, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Well, then Jesus replies to this man, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. All things are ready. Come to the feast. We used to sing the old hymn. But they all alike began to make great excuses. Isn't it amazing how sometimes the Great Commission is met with great excuses? The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have something to do. I just bought five yoke of oxen. Man, that'd be like a brand new John Deere tractor today. And I, I'm on my way to try it out. 
Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, and so I can't come. And uh, one says, I got something to see. Another says, I got something to do. And the other says, I got something to enjoy. And the servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry. Why is he angry? He's angry because his son, Jesus Christ, has sent out an invitation to the Father's house. And Jesus is not enough to see, do, or enjoy for these folks. And so he's angry. And here's what he ordered. He ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. There's that phrase again. Sir, the, the servant said, we've already done what you've ordered, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and make them come in. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. The will of the master is that his house be full. I tell you, not one of those men, who's he talking to? The Pharisees. Not one of those men will be invited. They will never get a taste of my banquet. I invited you, but they're not going to get a taste. Why? Because they don't come to the invitation. Here, here's the point. All who want to come may come to Jesus. If you want to come to Jesus today, you can have a come to Jesus moment and come to Jesus. Everybody's welcome, but here's the catch. You must come during the invitation. That means in this lifetime. A number of years ago, uh, my wife and I, Jane, uh, spent some time in Palm Springs on a little vacation. We were in a little casita next to a swimming pool, and, and one afternoon we went out to the pool, and we met a young couple in their early 30s. They had a little daughter, and Jane started up a conversation with the wife, and and I got in the pool with the husband, and we started talking. I asked what he did. He asked what I did. I said, I'm a preacher. And he said, man, I've always wanted to ask a preacher a question. And so he asked me a question, and that led to another and another. And eventually, a full-blown Bible study. And, and, uh, and, and I said to him, I said, you know, you've heard the whole gospel. Can you think of any reason why you shouldn't obey the gospel and put your Lord and Savior on a baptism right here and right now? And he said, oh, yeah. I go, really? It's the first time someone said that to me. I mean, God was, God was honest. He says, because I'm, I'm young. I'm still young. I'm going to wait till I'm old. And then I'm going to tell God I'm sorry. And then I'm going to trust Him. And then I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to wait. He thought Christianity was for old people. I looked right at him and I said, listen, friend. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. You can get hit by a Mack truck tomorrow and it's over for you. Jesus can come between now and the time you're an old man. And it's too late. I said, what would you say to Jesus? If he came right now, he'd say, well, I'd just say, I'm sorry. And uh, I, I now believe in you. I said, no, 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 you're missing the whole point. The whole point is, uh, in heaven, there is no sin. That means there's no sinners. And number two, there is no faith. You've got to show some faith. You're going to be seeing Jesus face to face, eyeball to eyeball. That doesn't take any faith. It takes a certain amount of faith here on earth, not blind faith. God's given us sufficient faith from His Word. In history, the historical Christian evidences, uh, the historicity of Jesus, uh, the, the fact that he lived, he, 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 he did miracles, he uh, was tried and, and convicted by Pilate, he was crucified, and on the third day the tomb was open and empty. That's, that's strong evidence right there. But then we see evidence by creation, and, and you know we see there's design to this universe, design demands a designer. 
Show me a painting without a painter, a building without a builder, or a creation without a creator. I believe in intelligent design, and I call that designer God. It takes faith, a little bit of faith, much more faith, much less faith, let's put it this way, than those that say everything came from nothing. How do you believe that? How are you going to go along with that? that? Now that takes faith. I believe there is a God and that He is the creator of our creation. That makes a whole lot more sense to me. And I believe the sun, moon, and stars are evidence of that. The order of the universe. You get our planet you know, one degree closer to the sun and we all burn up. You get our, our planet one degree further from the sun and we all freeze to death. We are in the perfect spot. Why? Because we have a perfect God that put us here. Everyone is equally important to Jesus. Everybody can come to Jesus, but you've got to come during the invitation. Now quickly, let's get to the latter part of this text where he talks really about counting the cost. There is a cost to coming to the banquet. Again, let me remind you, salvation is free, discipleship is costly. There must be, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, there must be an unrivaled love. You've got to say, He is first place in my life. It's like the first commandment. There is one God in His first place in my life. Jesus is just reiterating that fact. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. I don't think there's really a break between what we're seeing in this conversation with the Pharisees and what Jesus is about to teach these large crowds. The scene shifts, but I think the topic is the same. They were traveling with Jesus, and Jesus knows in those large crowds there are some truth seekers. But there are some people that are thrill seekers. They're coming for the fishes and the loaves. They're coming for the miracles. They're coming because it's a, a great social event. It's a big gathering. When Jesus came to town, it was a real big deal. And so the best way to read out the, weed out the truth seekers from the thrill seekers is to make demands. And at some point, Jesus cuts off all the miracles. And all he does is teach the word. And he makes demands like these. And turning to them, that's the large crowds, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, the word hate here in the Greek means to love less, so don't panic, hate his father and mother, his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He is saying there must be an unrivaled love. Is it wrong to not love your, uh, hate your parents? No. We celebrate Father's Day. We celebrate Mother's Day. The Bible says, honor your father and mother. Just don't let them be first place. Yes, don't even let your life be first place. Always make that position reserved for God. There are a lot of good things that can hinder us from becoming disciples. There's a lot of things that can crowd Jesus out. And that would be a huge, huge mistake. There must be an unrivaled love. Number two, he says in verse 27... There must be an unceasing dying. And anyone who does not carry, notice this, his cross, her cross, your cross, not somebody else's cross, not even Jesus' cross, his cross, and follow me, cannot be my disciple. Now let me tell you, I've heard all kinds of things on, you know, people said, Bruce, my asthma is my cross to bear in life. Let me let you know a little secret, folks. Your asthma is not your cross that God's called you to bear. Some have said, well, it's just my temper. My temper. I could be more useful, but it's just my cross to bear. That your temper is not your cross to bear. Well, it's just my unbelieving spouse. If I only had a believing spouse, well, my unbelieving spouse is my cross to bear. He or she is not your cross to bear, folks. 
Bearing your cross means you are so dedicated to the cause of Christ that you are willing to die for it. Your cross, he says, not his cross. He died on his, you die on yours, whatever that may be, whatever that might look like. Jesus knew as a boy what a cross stood for. Near Nazareth, where Jesus lived, there was an uprising against Rome. It was led by a fellow named Judas the Galilean. And they took possession of an armory in Sepphoris. Now Jesus would have been about 10 to 12 years old when this took place. Rome quickly put down the insurrection. And to make an example that this should never happen again, they crucified some 2,000 Jews. Now where this took place was about four miles from Jesus' house. Our church building is located in the city of Whittier, which is about four miles from La Habra. It would be hard for me to believe that Jesus would not have at least heard about this, being that close to where an event like that happened. He understood what it mean, meant to die on a cross. And now He comes to us and He says, Disciple, Christian, carry your cross. Not point to somebody else's cross. Not sing about the old rugged cross. But carry yours. How do I do that? What is the cross Jesus carried? Was it not the sins of the world? And in some way, shape, or form, shouldn't we feel the same weight of getting the whole gospel to the whole world? And what better time than now when people are hungry to hear something good, some good news, and get some security in their life. Number three, there's got to be an unafraid accounting. He gives two parables here. Number one, a parable of a rash builder. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first, before he does anything else, sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? That's wise. For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. A number of years ago in Dallas, Texas, a man decided to build these luxurious towers called the Cary Plaza Towers. And um, they, they got all the permits and the approval, and this thing was going to cost like a gazillion dollars. And uh, they laid the foundation, and the girders went up, and he says, I'm going to go to Europe. <clears throat> and he went over there to buy the fixtures and the interior for the building. And he bought chandeliers and gold faucets and and uh, you know, famous artwork, and, and, and he came back only to find out that the construction had stopped because he had spent all the money. The money ran out. And those Dallas winds would blow through those girders for about two, three long years. And it became known as the White Elephant of Dallas until some investment group, I believe, bought it. But the point is this, the man was considered foolish for having started to build, but not having enough money to complete it. Make the application to the Christian life. And then he talks about a careful king. Or suppose a king is about to go into war against another king. Will he not first, again, before he does anything else, first thing to do is sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. Now it is possible to do that. There have been several military leaders like Alexander the Great, Hannibal. They had better strategy, maybe better weaponry, uh, tactics, what have you. And it's possible to feed a larger army. But if you discover it's not possible in your case or in this king's case, if he is not able, 
he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Now the first parable deals with money. The second parable deals with men. In the first parable, if you messed up and you ran out of money, people laughed at you. You were mocked. Not that big a deal, but you don't want it. But the second one is even worse. If you messed up on that one and miscalculated, people died. Here's the point. Before you decide to become a disciple of Jesus, count the cost. Those of you who are disciples already know this. And that's why you're not panicking during a coronavirus. That's why you're praying, but not panicking. That's why you have a certain peace that passes all understanding. Because you're a disciple of Jesus. And you know where you're going. You know whose you are and who you are. And where you're going one day. Now, a parabolic application. He, he says there has to be an unqualified renunciation. In the same way, if any of you does not give up, and the word give up there means to renounce, everything he has, he cannot be my disciple. And so I must renounce all that I have or I cannot be a disciple of Jesus. He just lays it on the line there. Uh, years ago when I served as a youth minister here, uh, a girl brought one of her friends, about an 18-year-old boy, I guess it was a boyfriend, uh, to our youth group. And after about three months, he came to me one day and says, Bruce, I am ready to give my life to Jesus. I want you to baptize me into Christ. I said, are you serious about this? If only come three months, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, well, let's go to the library and let's have a little talk. So we went to our church library and I opened up to this passage we're reading this morning in Luke 14. We went through the whole thing. I said, you still ready? Have you counted the cost? You're willing to do it? He says, yes, I am. And I said, okay, great. Um, can I see your wallet? He said, my wallet? I said, yeah, I just, just want to see your wallet. And so he handed his wallet. And I said, hey, you got some money in here. You know, the Lord hath needed your money. And I took it out and laid it on the table next to his wallet. His eyes got about that big. But he saw what I was doing. And I said, hey, I happen to notice that you have a car. And can I have your keys? My keys? You want the keys to my car? This is hard for an 18-year-old kid. I said, you got to renounce all that you have. You, you said you want to be a disciple. Are you willing to do that? You know what? He reached into his pocket and he pulled out those keys and he laid them there on the table and said, yes, I am. And handed me his car keys. I noticed he had a nice wristwatch on. And I said, uh, that's a nice wristwatch. I think the Lord hath need of it. And he says, oh, okay. He takes it off, puts it over here. And now I've got his wallet. I've got his keys. And I've got his wristwatch. And I said, I believe you are willing to renounce all that you have. And the Lord sees that. And, and I notice you also bring kids to youth group. You bring kids to devotionals. And you use your car for the Lord. And so the Lord wants you to have your car keys back. But remember, it's God's car. And He lets you use it. And you're going to need to put gas in that car. So here's your wallet. Here's your money back. Because you're going to need gas to get around in. But remember, it's God's money. Use it for Him. And number three, He wants you to get to Youth group on time, and so here's your watch back. But remember, it all belongs to you. Renounce it all. So if you lose it, it's no big deal because it wasn't really yours in the first place. But use it for God is the whole intention here. And that night, we baptized him into Christ, and he and all his things went to bed holy unto Jehovah. Common everyday things, like a watch and a car and money, 
became holy in his hands because he used them for God. Number five, an unavoidable alternative. 34 and 35, we're almost done with this chapter. There's a, what if I'm not willing to do this count, counting the cost thing? Salt is good, Jesus said, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has an ear, let him hear. Are you hearing this morning? Are you listening this morning? Let me quickly wrap up with the conduct of a disciple. Once you're in, you're to abide in the Word, John 8, 31-32. Once you're in, you're to die to self, sin, and society, John 12, 24-26. Once you're in, you're to love the brothers, John 13, 34, and 35. And once you're in, go and bear lasting fruit, John 15, 8 and 16. Here's your takeaway today. Cross point, we're about to wrap this thing up. Salvation is free. Discipleship is very, very costly. But know this, the reward is worth it. Get it? Got it? I heard you. Good. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the privilege of being your disciples. We pray that we don't take discipleship lightly. Keep us from being flippant followers. God bless each one of us as we try to be fruitful disciples for you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Cross Point. You have a good day, and I'll see you tomorrow at 12 noon.